Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In the early morning hours of May 25th, 2013, Jason Ellis, a 33-year-old police officer, finished his shift for the Bardstown Police Department and headed home in his cruiser. During his drive, Jason encountered a pile of tree limbs blocking the road. He turned on his police lights, parked his car diagonally to block the road, and stepped out to clear the limbs so no one would get hurt. As he bent down to pick up the debris, a gunman shot him multiple times. Jason died at the scene and was later found by a passing motorist. It's been almost 11 years since Officer Jason Ellis was killed and investigators are still searching for the people responsible. everyone, welcome back to Detective Perspective. My name is Derek Lavasser. I'm a licensed private investigator and former police detective, and each week I'll be covering an unsolved case in story format. I'll then give you my perspective on the investigation and provide contact information for the individuals or organizations connected to the case so that if you have any tips, you can contact them directly and maybe you can help solve a case. If you're someone who's interested in true crime, specifically unsolved cases, and you would like to hear my opinion on those investigations, please consider subscribing whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. Okay, this week's case, Officer Jason Ellis. Probably not hard for you to figure out why I'm covering this one. It's 11 years old, so relatively new in the scheme of cold cases. But yeah, I'm covering it because it's a fallen police officer, and as, as I just said, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a former police detective. I have a lot of friends in law enforcement. I was one of them out there. And, you know, I I know how hard that job is and I know how dangerous it can be. And whenever I hear about someone like this who, by all accounts, was was doing the right thing and was a, a, a great person to have their life ended just because potentially, possibly because of the occupation they chose, it's really unfortunate. It's a hard pill for me to swallow personally, again, because of my connection to it. I've known about this case for years. I heard about it when it happened. I was a police officer when it happened. So very familiar with it. Um, Although I didn't know all the specifics like I'm going to cover here tonight. So this was a good refresher for me as well. But it's pretty simple. The reason I'm covering this case is because although when I get into my perspective, this one may be a hard one to solve at this point. I know that if I don't put my version of it out there, if I don't put my voice on top of this, I would I would feel some type of way and I would feel like I'm not doing my part. So I'm obviously doing this for you guys to make you aware of this case if you're not already, but I'm also doing it for myself. So with that all out of the way, let's dive into this week's case. 
Jason Scott Ellis, born on September 22, 1979, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, with his two sisters and their parents, Denny and Pam. From a young age, Jason showed talent in baseball and became a star player in high school, earning the title of Player of the Year in 1998. After graduating in 1998, Jason played baseball for the University of Cumberland's in Williamsburg, Kentucky, where he set multiple records. After earning a bachelor's degree in communication in 2003, Jason signed with the Cincinnati Reds to play minor league baseball. A year later, Jason married his college sweetheart, Amy, and they later welcomed two sons. Jason eventually left the Cincinnati Reds and his family settled in Bardstown, Kentucky, a small town with approximately 13,000 residents. Jason volunteered as a youth baseball coach and in 2006, he fulfilled his lifelong dream of joining the police department. Within a year, he became Bardstown PD's only canine officer, partnering with his German shepherd, Figo. Amy described Jason as a police officer who went by the book, but was also a friendly and humorous person. Even during stops, he would approach his work with a lighthearted demeanor, making people laugh in the process. According to the Bardstown police chief, Jason was one of the department's top officers when it came to arrest numbers. He averaged about a dozen drug-related arrests each month, which helped put a dent in the town's issues with narcotics. In 2008, just two years into his law enforcement career, Jason received the Officer of the Year Award. He also earned the Governor's Award for Impaired Driving Enforcement on two occasions. Throughout the years, Jason remained devoted to removing drugs from the streets and ensuring his community's safety. On the late afternoon of May 24, 2013, Jason reported for work at the police department. Typically, he'd bring Figo with him, but the K-9 SUV was in the shop, so Figo stayed home and Jason drove a marked cruiser shared by multiple officers. After completing a routine shift, Jason left work at 2 a.m. and headed home, still wearing his police uniform. However, he would never reach his destination. Just after 2.30 a.m., a driver took exit 34 off Bluegrass Parkway, a sharp exit located between Rocky Hills. The driver encountered a police car parked diagonally in the road with its flashing blue lights activated, but there were no officers in sight. Concerned, the driver got out and looked around. That's when he discovered 33-year-old Jason's body lying in front of his cruiser near a pile of trim tree limbs. Now initially, the driver thought that the limbs might have fallen on Jason or that he might have been struck by a car. The exact details at this point were unclear. All the driver knew was that Jason was dead. So using the car radio, the driver reported an officer down. Bardstown police and Kentucky State Troopers quickly arrived at the scene. When they examined Jason's body, they determined that he sustained gunshot wounds in his armpit where the Kevlar vest dipped down right under his arm and also his head. Subsequent autopsy results concluded that he had been shot multiple times with a 12-gauge shotgun. Now real quickly, for anybody who's not familiar with this, when we wear a vest, you can actually see mine right behind me there if you're watching on YouTube. The vest, you can kind of see, it's a little blurry back there, but it's it kind of wraps around you and it kind of straps under where your rib cage is. But unfortunately, there is a little bit of a gap there where your arm, you know, under your armpit there where they kind of have to leave it open because if it was right up under your armpit, it would be extremely uncomfortable every time uh, you moved around, especially when you sat in your vehicle. Every time you sit in your police cruiser, your vest kind of hits the top of your duty belt and it causes it to push up. That's why they also have to leave a little bit of a gap right below your neck. So 
it, it's unfortunate because it leaves you vulnerable in those two specific areas, the armpits and that neck area, and almost around a little bit below your belly button as well. It just really sucks because you hear about a lot of these police officer involved shootings where the officer is killed and it's sometimes during a shootout where the, the officer is firing back at the suspect so their arms lifted and unfortunately the suspect gets a round off that goes under their vest or th through the gap in the vest and kills the officer because now obviously goes right into the, you know, the important organs that keep you alive. And it just, it's, it's really unfortunate and frankly, it's just a really unlucky situation. Now, according to the Associated Press, Jason's service weapon was still holstered, indicating that more than likely he did not anticipate the shooting. And unfortunately, there was no video footage of the shooting because the cruiser that Jason was driving at the time was an older model and it didn't have a dash cam installed. Now, based on the evidence at the crime scene, authorities determined that after Jason took exit 34 on his usual route home, he encountered the limbs in the middle of the road. So he activated his lights, parked diagonally to block the road, and got out of the vehicle to clear the road hazard. While bending down to move the tree limbs, he was shot from above, which suggested that the gunman had likely been positioned on a nearby hill. It was clear to investigators that Jason was ambushed, with no opportunity to reach for a service weapon or radio for help. The incident marked the first time a Bardstown police officer had been killed. In response, the police chief instructed his 25 officers to respond to calls in pairs and remain vigilant. Officers also took turns staying with the Ellis family at night to ensure their safety. The Kentucky State Police took over the investigation with the assistance from the Bardstown Police and federal agencies like the FBI and the ATF. On May 26, the Kentucky State Police held a press conference where they announced that Jason's murder had been a premeditated ambush. However, they were still working to determine whether Jason was the specific target and asked for the public's help in identifying any potential suspects. The KSP further mentioned their belief that someone was present in the area of Exit 34 before the murder. They urged anyone who saw anything suspicious, such as an unattended vehicle or loitering individuals, to contact the police immediately. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. On May 28th, the Bardstown Police Department held a press conference announcing a reward of over $30,000. The police chief provided an update, mentioning that the department was working tirelessly around the clock to find answers. According to the Associated Press, the chief mentioned receiving numerous tips and a few leads, but nothing they could, quote, get excited over just yet. At this point, they had no motive and no suspects. During the conference, Jason's wife Amy addressed the crowd. She emphasized that no words could adequately convey the amount of sadness and anger she felt. Amy said despite not wanting to live another second without her beloved husband, she recognized the need to stay strong for her two sons, who were only six and seven years old. On May 30th, Jason's funeral took place on what would have been his seventh anniversary as a police officer. Approximately 800 police cruisers and other emergency vehicles from across the country participated in a 20-mile procession to the cemetery where Jason was laid to rest. This route was lined with American flags and mourners. During the funeral, Jason's canine partner, Figo, was present. He slowly approached the casket and gently pawed at it. Following the ceremony, Figo retired from police work and was allowed to stay with the Ellis family. 
On June 4th, the Kentucky State Police announced a $125,000 reward and revealed that the tree limbs discovered at the exit 34 did not belong to any trees in that immediate area. This told police that the limbs were brought there from somewhere else. The police urged Nelson County residents to contact them if they had tree work done around the time of the murder or if they witnessed any tree trimming or removal activities. KSP further mentioned that they were meticulously reviewing all of Jason's previous arrests to identify any red flags that could lead them to a suspect. But in the end, they didn't find anything suspicious. And while Jason had made some high-profile arrests before his murder, they weren't more notable than what any other officer had done. Now, I will say, although that might have been the case, it only takes one, right? It could have been a routine traffic stop, for all we know, where the, the operator of the vehicle didn't like the way that Jason had spoken to him. And maybe that person festered over it for weeks or months or maybe even years and was just looking for an opportunity. So although I understand where investigators are coming from, where there wasn't something that popped off the page as far as, uh, oh, this could be a potential suspect, that's fine. But again, it doesn't take a serious case to lead to a serious crime. It's not about what happened. It's how that person felt. And everyone reacts to every situation differently. So something that on paper to them may have looked routine, uh, again, to the person that was affected by it, the suspect in the case, they might have taken it personally, and this could have been their response. There's no way to know for sure. Any case that we're involved in, any arrest that we make, uh, you could be creating a future enemy. That's the danger that comes with being a police officer. In addition to scrutinizing Jason's arrests, the police interviewed Amy to ask if she knew anyone Jason had been having problems with or any red flags she may have noticed prior to his murder. She said no, Jason never talked about his work ever, and he said it was to shield her, but Amy later told KPNS that this made her feel shut off from this part of his life. Amy also mentioned that they never talked about what would happen if Jason were to lose his life. They didn't have a will, and all they had was a very small life insurance policy. She said he never wanted to talk about death, so when he died, they didn't have a plan in place. Now, as a, as a former police officer, I can confirm this. This is something that's very common amongst police officers. I've been through uh, a lot of dangerous situations, and I can tell you that a lot of my family members and friends didn't know about those situations until they read them in my book that I wrote much later in life after I was retired. I had a few of them come up to me and say, hey, what the hell? I didn't know that happened to you, or I didn't know you had this hit put on you, or I didn't know you were in this situation, or how it affected you. And it is a common thing amongst police officers. We do it as a way of compartmentalizing what we experience at work. We don't want to bring that home with us. And I will tell you that there's a psychological element to it where we're more likely to talk about it with other police officers because they will, quote unquote, understand. It's just a mentality that you do develop as a police officer. And then there's the element where you don't want to scare your significant other or your family or your friends when you go home because it's not only stressful on you as the police officer, but you, you say to yourself, like, what's the point of stressing them out when I'm at work? There's nothing they can do to help me. Once I'm there, I'm there. And regardless of how much you're loved, if you get into a bad situation, the only person that's going to be able to help you in that moment is you or your or your fellow officers. So why burden family members or friends with something that there's really no, they don't have any control over it. So this could have been a situation where he didn't want to talk about what was going on at work because he didn't want to worry his wife, completely understandable. 
And I also think there's an element that many of you can relate to where you don't like to put bad vibes into the universe, right? You don't want to talk about dying or something bad happening because there's a lot of people and I'm one of them where, you know, if you're constantly thinking in a negative mindset, you create that, that opportunity for it where I'd rather focus on the positive and I'd rather be optimistic. Hey, I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be safe. And that might've been Jason's mentality, but in hindsight, thinking from a logistical perspective, even though I felt similar to Jason, I did also make sure that I had a life insurance policy and that Jenna knew what she would have to do if I passed away, even though I was only 20 years old when I got hired. It's just a necessary part of the job. And, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's it's like any job. You don't know what's going to happen. So it's better to be prepared so that if, God forbid, something does happen to you, your, your family's taken care of. Now, in addition to going through Jason's arrest records and speaking to Amy, the Kentucky State Police also dug deep into Jason's background for anything that might provide a motive for his murder, such as gambling debts, drugs, or affairs. But they found nothing. The KSP later said, quote, Jason Ellis really was that guy a devoted family man, an honest policeman, a young baseball coach, a pillar of the community. In mid-June, the Kentucky Standard reported that Bardstown police had been receiving death threats through letters, phone calls, and social media, implying that, quote, there was more to come, meaning more murders to come. While the specific language used in the threats was not disclosed publicly, Bardstown police turned them over to the FBI. However, as far as I can tell, no significant developments resulted from these threats. By mid-June, more than a month had passed since Jason was murdered. The Bardstown police chief expressed frustration that they hadn't made significant progress in finding answers for the family, the department, or the community. In late August, the FBI announced efforts to generate new leads, which included a billboard campaign and an additional reward of $50,000 in the case, bringing the total to $218,000. Despite these efforts, no one came forward with information needed to solve this case. The Bardstown police chief told WCPL that he found it troublesome that the reward was set at such a high amount, yet no one came forward with the information they needed. This lack of cooperation indicated to him that the quote murders run deep. Now, I know what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say that maybe this is a, a bigger collaboration that took place. Maybe there's multiple people involved. Maybe there's bigger forces at play here where people are afraid to come for forward with information. Who am I to say that's not possible? He knows that community much better than me. I will say this, and I'll get more into this at the end during my perspective, but there's a real possibility that no one came forward because there's only one or two people that know what happened. Now, after all this, media attention slowed down over the next few months until November when the Kentucky State Police released a YouTube video asking for the public's help in solving the case. KSP described the video as an attempt to cast a wide net in their search for the culprit who might have fled the area or could still be living locally. They said, quote, we're just weighing all of our options and trying to get as much exposure as we can to see if we can catch a break. And although police did receive tips from the video, they did not obtain the leads they were hoping for, and the case continued to stall. May 25, 2014, marked one year since Jason was ambushed and killed on Exit 34. Amy told the Courier-Journal, quote, We're just trying to put our shattered lives back together. I lost the love of my life. The boys lost their daddy. We're trying to stay positive, trying to heal as best as we can. That month, 
the Lexington Herald-Leader released a long-form article outlining where the case stood one year after the murder. The Kentucky State Police revealed that they think more than one person was involved. They stated, quote, It certainly could have been a lone gunman scenario, but logistically it would have been very difficult to carry out the plan. Based on some of the things we know about the scene, it appears to us that at least two people were involved. However, they would not discuss any further details. KSP also said that they felt with a, quote, high degree of certainty that the ambush was meant to target a law enforcement officer, but they couldn't say for sure if the specific target was Jason. Several officers from multiple agencies used Exit 34 after work, and there's nothing in Jason's background to indicate that he was the specific target. Now, unfortunately, reporting on Jason's murder slowed down drastically after the one-year mark, and by May of 2015, Two years had passed since Jason was ambushed and killed. In a video released by Amy and the Kentucky State Police, Amy described the pain endured by both her and Jason's loved ones since his tragic death. She made a heartfelt appeal to those with information, urging them to come forward and help the family find closure. Amy said, quote, Time cannot close our wound. It has been two years since our family was devastated by a senseless ambush of my husband. She emphasized that Jason's family and friends are unable to heal without understanding who killed him and why. Amy went on to state, quote, We still struggle with the need to understand before the healing can truly begin. In an announcement accompanying the video, the Kentucky State Police expressed the hope that its release would generate new leads. They said someone, somewhere, had crucial information about the murder, and even the smallest detail could be the key to making an arrest. Despite Amy's heartfelt pleas, no one came forward with the information needed to solve the case. But that didn't stop Amy and the police from continuing to speak out about Jason's unsolved murder. In May of 2017, just two days before the fourth anniversary of Jason's murder, his canine partner Figo passed away at the age of 11 after a prolonged illness. A graveside service was held for Figo, and his remains were placed in an urn next to Jason's headstone. The years continued to pass without any answers, and eventually the FBI took over investigating Jason's case. In 2020, the assistant special agent in charge revealed that Jason's murder might be connected to two unsolved Bardstown cases, the disappearance of Crystal Rogers and the murder of her father, Tommy Ballard. The agent expressed the belief that solving one of these three murders could potentially bring resolution to the others, but unfortunately he didn't provide any further details. Now, if you don't already know this already, which I'm assuming the majority of you, you do, uh, Stephanie and I recently covered the Crystal Rogers case on Crime Weekly, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, here's a quick rundown. In July of 2015, Crystal Rogers went missing from Bardstown. On the same day that Crystal was reported missing, her car was found abandoned with a flat tire at mile marker 14 on the Bluegrass Parkway. Crystal's keys, phone, and purse were still inside the red Chevy Impala. While Crystal's remains have never been located, she has long been presumed dead, and Crystal's boyfriend, Brooks Haug, was named as a person of interest in her disappearance. Now, just a few months after Crystal went missing, Brooks's brother, Nick, was fired from the Bardstown Police Department, where he served as a police officer, for interfering with the investigation into Crystal's disappearance. Now, just over a year later, in November of 2016, Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard, was shot and killed while preparing for a hunting trip with his 12-year-old grandson on the family property in Bardstown next to the Bluegrass Parkway. 
it has long been believed that Tommy's murder is related to Crystal's disappearance. Now, despite the special agent in charge potentially linking Jason's murder to the disappearance of Crystal and the murder of Tommy, the investigation into Jason's case continued to stall. Then, in October of 2022, Jason's memorial, which is located off Exit 34, was vandalized. This left his family with a lot of questions. They wondered why someone would vandalize his memorial now, nine and a half years after his murder. Amy conveyed a powerful message to the vandal when speaking to WDRB. She said, quote, You cannot take away the man that he was. You cannot take away our memories. And you cannot take away the way that we will continue to honor and remember him and the man that he was. Now, despite offering a reward for information leading to the vandal, up to this point, no arrests in that case have been made. Just a few months later, in January of 2023, the Kentucky Attorney General appointed a state attorney to serve as a special prosecutor for the murders of Jason Ellis, Crystal Rogers, and Tommy Ballard. Again, no details regarding the possible connection between the three cases were provided. On May 25, 2023, an entire decade had passed since Jason was murdered. Amy shared with Spectrum News 1 that no one expected to find themselves here 10 years later, still without answers. Initially, everyone believed this case would be solved within days or at worst a couple months. Amy expressed that despite the difficulty of lacking answers, she chooses to focus on who Jason was and what he stood for. She and Jason's loved ones refused to let evil, bitterness, and anger take root within their hearts. Now, I want to circle back to Crystal Rogers, which I spoke about earlier, because in September of 2023, Crystal's boyfriend, Brooks Hauk, was arrested for her murder. And during a court hearing for Brooks, the prosecution revealed that they were in possession of a gun they believed was used to kill Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard. Now, the interesting part here is prosecutors also revealed that they had purchased the gun from Nick Hauk, who I mentioned earlier was not only the brother of Brooks Hauk, but also a former Bardstown police officer. Now, obviously, the progress made in Crystal and Tommy's cases brought hope to Jason's family. His sister Kelly told the media that without going into too much detail, there seemed to be similar people connected to Jason and Crystal's cases. Jason's other sister, Lacey, questioned why Jason's case hadn't been solved yet. She said, quote, It makes me believe they don't want it solved. They're burying stuff under the rug. Or there's more behind the curtain. There's too much that's going to come out, and that's what makes me nervous. Lacey added that when the case was finally solved, she wants people to remember Jason for the incredible person he was, not the tragedy that happened. Unfortunately, that's the latest update we have in Jason's case. Authorities are still searching for the person or people who ambushed him on Exit 34, and his family continues to fight for justice. All right, so let's dive into the perspective, and I, I only have a few points to make, but I have a pretty interesting theory to pose to you guys, and I don't know, maybe someone who's listening or watching this who's involved with the case uh, will know if this has been looked into before, and if it hasn't, maybe it will now once I, I bring all this out. So first off, let's talk about the big, the big reveal at the end here about Crystal Rogers and Tommy Ballard. Again, a lot of you are coming over from Crime Weekly. You probably already know about this case. And as I said at the end uh, with, with this case, prosecutors uh, revealed that they had purchased a gun from, from Nick Houck that they believe was potentially used to murder Tommy Ballard. They didn't say anything about Jason Ellis. What's interesting about that, that little section that they revealed at court 
was they they mentioned they didn't say the caliber or anything, but I believe they mentioned the word rifle. They said uh, we purchased the rifle from Nick Houck. Well, that would be that wouldn't line up with Jason Ellis's murder if you remember, because he was killed from what we understand with a twelve gauge shotgun. So it was a different gun. So we know that's not the connection, but here's what's interesting. And I'm going to come back to Nick Houck at the end of this, but follow me. Stick with me on this. I don't necessarily believe that there's multiple people involved. I, I would I don't know the crime scene and I don't know the specifics that they know, so I always qualify it by saying that, yes, if it was heavy tree limbs or whatever it might have been, or maybe they're thinking that the person one person slid the tree limbs in front of the car right before it showed up while the other person stayed on the hill and shot uh, Jason as he approached. I guess that's possible, but I would argue that more than likely this is one person, maybe two, but I'm going with one for the sake of this conversation. And this person is one of two people in my mind. There's some type of serial killer who's done something like this before, and it's a thrill kill where the intention wasn't law enforcement, the intention wasn't Jason Ellis, the intention was just to kill someone. That's all it was. They didn't care who it was. And under that theory, they would basically put out these tree limbs to distract someone, to get someone to get out of their car. And as soon as they did, they would kill this person and be on their way. And if that's the case here, what law enforcement needs to look into is other cases where a a similar modus operandi, a similar MO was conducted maybe in, in Bardstown, maybe in Kentucky, or maybe somewhere in surrounding states. Some other case where the victims involved were killed from a distance by a gun and it doesn't appear that they had any enemies or there would be any reason for anyone want to want to hurt them. So this, like I said, this could just be some coward who likes to kill people from a dis- distance for their own gratification. It could be as simple as that. And if there's only one person who knows what happened, the suspect, and there's really no connection to Jason or law enforcement, that's maybe why agents are having such a hard time identifying this person. That's one scenario. The other one, which I find very interesting, is if it was connected to law enforcement, more specifically Jason, it would be someone who would have to know his schedule and more importantly, that he was working that night and in addition to that, know what time he's getting off work because it's not your standard nine to five. I can tell you firsthand, many police officers work, you know, eight to four, four to midnight, midnight till eight in the morning, or they'll do an overlap shift where they're working from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. It's all over the place. It's sporadic. Sometimes officers will work their regular shift and then work a detail for a couple hours. So unless you really know the inner workings of that Bardstown Police Department, you wouldn't know what time Jason was getting off, okay? So if that's the case and where to believe that there's something in the case file that we're not aware of that connects Crystal Rogers and Tommy Ballard to Jason Ellis, I would assume that connection is Nick Houck because, again, he was a Bardstown police officer. And although the gun in these two crimes might be different, I wonder if that connection is is Nick Houck himself. The question becomes, what was the relationship between Nick and and Jason prior to Jason's murder. I don't even know if Nick was on the job when Jason was there. These are all details that I don't have access to, but investigators would. And if there was a connection there, if they did know each other, 
what was their relationship like? Was there animosity? Was there any issues? Or was there something that would correlate these two things where you could say, yeah, Nick would have a reason to want to take out Jason? I don't know. Again, I don't know what that reason would be. But again, the people inside that station or the people investigating these two cases, they definitely would. Now, the only thing I'll say to that is we have to remember that Crystal disappeared in 2015 and Tommy was killed in 2016. So whatever the connection is, Jason was murdered years before any of that happened. And I do wonder that if while investigators were looking into Crystal and Tommy's cases, they started to see some similarities, some patterns with Jason's case. And maybe, although it was never announced to the public, there were some internal rumblings about the potential involvement of a colleague, right? Why wouldn't law enforcement put that information out to everyone else? Two reasons. One, it's an open investigation. Secondly, think about the ramifications. There's a possibility that this was an inside job that another police officer potentially or could have shot Jason. Is that that's on the table and think about the distrust and uneasiness that would cause within that community. You, you can't do that. You definitely can't go public with that type of information unless it's concrete. So that's kind of where I stand on this case. And to kind of summarize it all, I do believe it was a lone gunman, but I do reserve the right to change if new information that wasn't previously publicized comes out. But what we know right now and the fact that no one's came forward with this big of a reward in this community is just, it's crazy to me. And it, it really only leaves a couple possibilities that, again, it's one or two people and they're just really close or it's just one person. And then unless you catch that individual, they're never going to confess to it. That's, to me, the most likely scenario. And then as it relates to Crystal Rogers and Tommy Ballard, we know that Brooks and Nick are both, you know, in a lot of trouble right now. Brooks is in, in prison. Nick has not been arrested for anything yet. But again, they already announced that they believe charges against him could be coming down the road very soon. And I wonder once they do, if everything starts to come out in the wash, will we see some reverse engineering that links back to Jason Ellis's case? I sure hope so. Not only for the Bardstown Police Department, not only for the community, but most importantly for Jason's family and friends. So listen, I really want to solve this case. I know you do as well. So here's a quick recap. On May 25th, 2013, Officer Jason Ellis was driving home when he encountered a pile of tree limbs blocking the road on exit 34 of the Bluegrass Parkway in Bardstown, Kentucky. While attempting to remove the limbs, he was shot several times by a 12-gauge shotgun. So if you or anybody you know has information concerning this case, please call 1-800-CALL-FBI. And just remember, there's still a reward available. And finally, I want to send my thoughts to Amy and Jason's two sons, and obviously Jason's family and friends. We know it's been too long. One day is too long. But we want you to continue to fight, continue the hope, and as you guys said, continue to remember Jason for the man that he was. But we're with you. We're with you until the end, until Jason gets the justice he deserves. Everyone be safe out there, and I'll see you soon.